Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. We are going to continue our look at the angels. Last week for the Christmas sermon, you need me still? We're going to interrupt me? In a second, we're going to touch you for the kids. No, 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 too late. Yeah, we'll do it later. Thank you. Uh, so last week we looked at an angel's perspective uh, on Christmas. So we thought it would be, how many of you have heard a lot of sermons over the years and 15 years of preaching here? I've never delivered a series on angels. How many of you have you heard a series before on angels? Yeah, yeah, that's, there's not one hand that went up. That's what I expected. If you did, your hand did go up, I would know that you're lying. All right, because there's, there's really not a heck of a lot of material out there, but we thought it would be really interesting at this time of the year to delve into that. And I said, just a little review if you weren't here last week, I said there have been more books written about angels in the past decade than in the pre- previous 150 years, just in the last 10 years. So it's angel mania. There's been an angel craze, a fascination in our culture. And whereas maybe previous generations, people did not really get into the whole angel thing, now people are very much into it. For example, did you know there are num- numerous publications, one that I came across that I thought was interesting, Guidepost Magazine, uh, Angels on Earth. This is a bi-monthly publication, a worldwide publication. One million people read this publication. And in it, every other month, you can read stories about people that have had experiences with angels. If I went around the room here, and some of you, after last week's meeting, you came up to me, and you told me a story about an experience that you had with what you thought at the time was an angel. Well, that's the world we live in. But we also said, what has our culture done in terms of the depiction of what angels really are and what they look like? Well, we have to go to C.S. Lewis in his wonderful book, The Screwtape Letters. This is what he writes about angels, the art of angels, what has grown up from the beginning in terms of the church. He said, early Italian Renaissance angels carry in their face and gesture the peace and authority of heaven. Later came the chubby, infantile nudes of Raphael, and we looked at those last week. Finally, the soft, slim, and girlish angels of 19th century art, shaped so feminine that they avoid being voluptuous only by their total blandness. In Scripture, the visitation of an angel is always alarming. It has to begin by saying, fear not. The Victorian angel looks as if it were going to say, there, there. Right? Kind of cute. And I think we, we have domesticated angels. Angels, in a sense, they're like household pets. That everybody, oh, you can have one and you can kind of drag them around and come on, here you go. Come on, come on with me. We're going to go over here. We're going to do this or whatever. You're going to protect me. But oh, how we're so wrong in that. And you know what's interesting? Mankind's view of eternity and spirituality. I said last week, I gave you some of the stats, a lot of people that don't believe in God actually believe in angels, right? So though mankind's view of maybe religion and eternity has been opened and they're they're open to just angelic activity, I would also say that there has been an opening in terms of what the enemy can do and what he uses against us. Great scripture, look at this, what it says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 
And I think that is what is happening even in our day. Again, Satan doesn't come with the red cape and the pitchfork, right? As the caricature that we see depicted everywhere across our culture. No, it's so different. And you know what? Some of Satan's greatest triumphs. You weren't here last week too. We looked at who Lucifer was before he fell in heaven. And he was the son of the morning. He was glorious in every single way. But Satan has scored some of his greatest triumphs. Can I give you a few examples? Here's number one. How about this? Did you know the religion, Islam, the Islamic religion? It was started in 610. And Muhammad had some visions. And he thought they were visions that were containing the angel Gabriel. How about 12 centuries later? Joseph Smith. He also had some angelic visitation. This is the, uh, a picture depicting the angel Moroni that visited him and the, you know, the, the golden plates and the Book of Mormon was on there and it was translated. Can I give you some facts? I don't want to make this an apologetic sermon, but I would be remiss if I didn't. How about the nation? How about Islam? How about the religion Islam? Can I tell you this? Did you know that he tried to kill himself three different times? Muhammad. He thought that he had demonic visions, demonic visitations. Muhammad thought that. You find me another prophet that was so distraught about visitations from another religion, they wanted to take their own life. No, he was so distraught by that. And people that were close to him also said to him they thought it was a demonic visitation. These are demonic This is not from God. This is not Gabriel. Remember what I just showed you. Satan will masquerade as an angel of light. Can I show you one other thing? This is actually from his first wife's uh, cousin, her first cousin. Well, Rocco expressed surprise and said, Gabriel came only to prophets, the best of creatures, so he wished to meet the prophet. He said that sometimes the devil deceives people, pretending to be Gabriel, and then he to whom the devil goes turns mad. I could give you a lot more, but I'm not. That's not what this sermon is really about. But I believe that the religion of Islam, and I, would, I don't consider Mormonism a religion. I think it's a cult. All right, And you went, whoa, what are you talking about? Well, I could just get, look at it. It fails the historicity test. The Smithsonian Institute has looked at the Book of Mormon and the geographic locations in there, and many of them are absolutely wrong. I don't know if people follow this. All the archaeological digs. Listen, I don't know, my Bible over there, when we were in Israel, and you look at all the archaeological digs that have happened, they have corroborated what is written in the Bible. How can you follow a religion if that is not the case? Well, that is what has happened in the Book of Mormon, in Mormonism in general. Come on, how can we don't hear these kinds of things? Yes, I, and you know what? Maybe today Satan does not masquerade, and maybe he's not trying to start new religions, but I would say when it comes to angelic activity, he does try to deceive us, and he does try to take advantage of the fascination that people have with angels. And if he can get us to believe that they're these little cuddly creatures, kind of like dogs, lap dogs that we can kind of hold on to, then he really has us. And if he can give us a spirituality, new age movement, that is devoid of God and Jesus Christ, he wins. He is so insidious. He is sneaky. And he's doing anything that he can to take people out. As, listen, as the days get, as we get, we move towards, more towards the end days, the last days, there will be great darkness. Darkness will increase. Light will increase. You'll see a great outpouring of his spirit. But don't you, 
Don't you be mistaken that Satan knows his days are numbered and he's going to try to take down every single person that he can. He's looking to take you out. He's looking to take me out. He's looking to take your neighbor out. He's looking to take everybody out. He knows his days are short. But we don't want to hear that. I'm just here for a rest. Come on, just give me the regular sermon. It's two days after Christmas. Be something happy. Giving you the truth. And when you look, can we look at a, I mean, how about this? I'll, I'll share this. Life magazine, a secular magazine. They said, uh, the, the uh, author attached the label God Light to the angelism movement. The reporter visited a conference of angel enthusiasts. Never been in one of those conferences. Maybe I should try one. Uh, he said, unlike the mighty creatures described in the Bible, again, a secular writer He said, the angels described him at the conference were a more benign and bite-sized species, cuddly as a lapdog, conscientious as a high school crossing guard, and I heard angels likened to spiritual kissing cousins and flower delivery messengers. Come on. That is not how the Bible depicts angels. They are glorious creatures. The name angel just means messenger. They're messengers from God. And as C.S. Lewis said, every single time somebody encountered an angel, they went right down to the ground. They were terrified. Not the picture that Satan wants us to really see. And as it pertains to what it actually says in the Bible, did you know there are 108 references to angels in the Old Testament? There are 163 references to angels in the New Testament. So you have roughly, what, 275 references to angels in the Bible. 34 out of the 66 books in the Bible refer to angels. Then how come we don't talk about them? If I I went around and did a survey and said, what do you think of when you think of angels? Not even here, just even outside of the church, I would think that many people would say, yeah, you know, the white gown and the wings, and they're kind of chilling out. Maybe they have the halos around their head, right? That's the picture that many of us would have of what angels really are. But the Bible gives us a much different image. Did you know there are no female angels? No chick angels. In the Bible, at least, no chick angels. Now, I forgot to take my... um, well, Pastor Linda's angel, this, all right, I'll just give you the whole story. So I'm at home last night and this morning, and I said, you know, I want to bring in like a, you know, a female angel, because art, as it has been depicted through the ages in, in Christianity, many times, it, you know, it, the angels are female. And think about, why is that funny? To me, it was kind of funny, because what do we always say? Oh, she's as pretty as an angel. We never say, he's as handsome as an angel. No, it's always, we refer to it in the feminine form, Right? But you look like this one. You can't make this up. She leans over to me and says, there's an angel actually right there on the Lord's table. Look at her. How beautiful. Are there female angels? I don't know. But I'm just saying to you, there probably are. Don't come up to me afterwards and say, you're a sexist preacher because you said there are no female angels. I don't know. I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. And she said to me, you better watch out. You may get in trouble. So I, I knew what I was getting into. But you look at this, right? She's female. Like, oh. She's just kind of sitting here. That's most, and she has more angels than anyone I've ever seen. Angel pieces everywhere, all over the house. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they were everywhere. They are dispatched by God to minister, to protect, and to deliver. And their activity, especially in the lives of believers, is constant. It's constant because we know that because the Bible tells us that. Look what it says in Hebrews 
1.14, are they not all, talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, angels, we know, they have no physical bodies, although they're story after story. I mean, I'm talking from the Bible to other books that, you know, I just came across. Like this morning, I'm reading, Megan and I are talking about, do you know there's a chicken soup for the soul angel book? I stole the title, Angels Among Us. I liked it. And there was all these stories, over a hundred stories of people that thought they encountered angels. Everywhere, everywhere you look, you see this. Angels have no physical bodies, but at times, they have taken on the form of human beings. Again, men in the Bible, okay, sorry, women, all right? And then how about they don't marry, no physical bodies, they don't marry. When Jesus was asked in Mark 12, will there be marriage in heaven? He said, no, it's going to just like the angels. They don't procreate, they don't marry, they don't have physical bodies, and they are eternal, eternal creatures, they're not going anywhere. They're part of our story. We're going to be hanging out with them forever. Got to learn how to become good friends with them. Hebrews 13. Look, look what it says here. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Are you kidding me? That means you have, maybe you, maybe you weren't cognizant of it, but you entertain an angel. Imagine if you did kind of know it was an angel. Hey, how are you? You're, are you an angel? Yes, I just happen to be an angel. That's great. Can I take you out to eat? I know a great gluten-free restaurant. I'll give you some of the... Because I know in heaven there's no gluten... There better be gluten-free food in heaven. Good gluten-free food, right? But we don't know. There may be instances when you came across an angel. You didn't know it. Frederick Beekner, an incredible Christian writer, nobody, an incredible storyteller. Nobody tells stories like him. This is what he said. He said, angels are powerful spirits whom God sends into the world to wish us well. Since we don't expect to see them, we don't. Did you see that? Since we don't expect to see them, we don't. An angel spreads his glittering wings over us, and we say things like, it was one of those days that made you feel good just to be alive. Or I had a hunch everything was going to turn out all right. Or I don't know where I ever found the courage. And we wonder sometimes, oh man, that was an amazing encounter. That was an amazing situation. And Beekner is trying to say, maybe you encountered an angel and you didn't even know it. Since we don't expect to see them, we don't. But the Bible, again, friends, is pretty clear that we have experienced angelic activity, whether or not we, you know, whether we know it or not. We have at some point. And what do angels do? I said to you before, how about they first thing, they can guide us and prevent us actually from doing something that we're not supposed to do. How many of you are familiar with the story in the Old Testament of Balaam and his donkey? All right, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If you're a parent in here and you've never uh, read this story, you can find this story. I'm just going to tell you this story. You can read it in Numbers 22. Uh, you, this is a story that you want to read for your kids. You'll get a lot of questions at the end, but it'll be worth it. And I'm just going to give you a really short synopsis, Reader's Digest. It's a story of uh, this guy's like a prophet for hire. That's what I'd call him, Balaam, right? He's like a magician, a prophet for hire. And in the story... There's a king of Moab, and his name is, is Balak. So his name is Balaam, right? The prophet of fire. Don't get them confused. And there is a king of Moab, and his name is Balak. And Balak wants to take out the Israelites. And he wants to get this guy, Balaam, he wants to use him to curse the Israelites, right? 
So this prophet for hire, at first he says, listen, I got to check with God on this. I got to see what's going on. I can't, you know, I don't know if I can do it. So as the story goes, he asks God and God says, no, those are my chosen people. You are not to curse them, to curse them. Again, the king tries to send his entourage, tried to give him money, pay him handsomely. Come on, whatever you want in the kingdom, I'm going to give you. All you need to do is curse the Israelites. Come on, I'm going to give you whatever you need, whatever you want. So as the story goes, I'll give you a little picture up there for you. Balaam makes his way. He's on his donkey, right? And he's traveling to see the king of Moab, Balak. And his donkey, as they're traveling, an angel of the Lord appears. The only problem is the donkey sees the angel, but Balaam, the prophet, does not. Isn't that kind of ironic? The one that is supposed to be able to really see spiritually cannot see the angel? How come sometimes animals have more sense than humans, right? So here is the donkey, and he's like, he sees the angel, and he's like, "Uh uh-uh, no way. And he kind of turns aside. Now here is Balaam, and Balaam starts to get pretty upset, and he starts beating the donkey. What are you doing? He starts beating him. Let's go. Move it. So then the donkey gets up again, and he moves ahead, and what happens again? The angel stands in front of him again. You cannot pass. Sorry, stay right here. And he's like, what, what the heck's going on? Happens again, and finally, he is brought to this area where the angel makes sure that the, 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 the road is very narrow. There were two vineyard walls, right? And the donkey goes down, right? And, and uh, Balaam's leg is pressed up against one of the sides of the wall, and he hurts his leg. And he starts beating the donkey again. And with that, the text tells us in Numbers 22, and God opened the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey said, wow, you beating me. Can you imagine? I was thinking of like, you know, you've seen Shrek, like Eddie Murphy, right? That character. Or you've seen the old show, like Mr. Ed. What is this scene like as he opens the mouth of the donkey? But that, that's a miracle, right? Are you with me? Is that a miracle? Here's the bigger miracle. Balaam responds right back immediately. Uh, a donkey, an animal, is down like this. And he looks at, why are you beating me? And then you see the prophet because you're not doing what I want you to do. What's wrong with you? Now, if you're the angel at this point, you're looking up to heaven going, really? This guy? He, he is the dumbest human I have ever come across. I've seen some real dumb ones. This guy takes the cake. So they're arguing. I can see them arguing. And then finally, now remember, Balaam can't see that he can't see the angel. And then I kind of see the angel like, I'm done with this. All right, all right, here I am. Hello, here I am. And he, he can, Balaam, the, the prophet, can now see the angel is standing there with the sword. And here's the best part. You know what the best line is from the story? Go read it. The best line is, the angel says to him, you know, I was, gonna, I was thinking about killing you and saving the donkey. You gotta read it with an imagination. You gotta laugh. This is a real story. He is trying to, and, and Balaam is not gonna be around much longer. He's not gonna be around in the story much longer. But there's an instance, I'm giving you that story. That's a story in the Bible of where God sent an angel to stop somebody from doing something. And I believe, even in our day, God still does things like that. God still does intervene. I said to you last week, how about guardian angels? How many of you believe, show of hands, How many of you believe that from the time we're born into this world, each one of us receives a guardian angel? 
okay. Keep your hands up. Why are you putting them down so quick? I don't know. Is he telling, what? What does he mean? Is he going to tell me I'm wrong? Yeah, you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. The problem, we don't know. We don't know for sure. Listen to me. Give me a little, little bit of time here. We don't know. If, I'm just giving you what scripture has said. I have read many scholars, commentators. I did my research on this because it was a question I had. I really didn't know the answer. I'm still left not really knowing the answer. But what the Bible tells us, there are two instances here we can see talking about guardian angels. I will say this. The word guardian is never used in scripture. It's never used. Not once. The two instances, can I show them to you so you know you can tell other people this? In Psalm 91, you all know this famous psalm, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Angels there, what do we see? That's not singular, that is plural. Every scholar, commentator I looked at said, this is in a plural sense, this means the whole angelic host. It's not one specific angel that is being used to guard over you. And some of you are like, man, now you're, you're killing, this is awful. All right, the sermon went from bad to horrible, okay? Here's the second one. Sorry, I have to just give you the truth. Matthew 18, 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Jesus talking to his disciples about little kids. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So what is the reference here? Jesus is basically talking about the angels that are going to, you know, into the presence of God, to and from. They're going back and forth. It is plural again. You have to see this. This is not singular. This is not saying here, Jesus is not saying that every single little kid, as much as we would like to think so, has a guardian angel. Now, all that to say this. John Calvin, I think, put it best. This is where I stand. You ready for this? Try to catch this. He said, whether or not each believer has a single angel assigned to him for his defense, I dare not positively affirm. This indeed I hold for certain, that each of us is cared for not by one angel merely, but that all with one consent watch out for our safety. Did you get that? After all, it is not worthwhile anxiously to investigate a point which does not greatly concern us. John, it, it, it concerns me. If anyone does not think it enough to know that all the orders of the heavenly host are perpetually watching for his safety, I do not see what he could gain by knowing that he has one angel as a special guardian. I believe this. There are myriads and myriads of angels. I said it last week. There are references to 100 million angels from in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation. Their number is really innumerable. I bet there's more than that. We know one-third fell when Lucifer fell from heaven. But there's a lot of them. And I said, if the average football stadium, if you didn't hear this last week, the average football stadium in America holds 50,000 people, 100 million would be 2,000 stadiums full of angels. There are angels everywhere. There are angels all around us. I believe that. And there are angels that protect us. Numerous situations where we have been protected. More, and again, some of us situations that maybe we weren't even aware of. Can I give you one story? How many of you know... Uh, the missionary, you've heard this saint before, John Patton, John G. Patton. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, John G. Patton was a missionary in the 19th century uh, to, in the Hebrides Islands, which is, you know, current day, it's islands that are just off of Australia and Fiji. I mean, really beautiful. He went there in the 19th century. Get this story. This is an amazing story. He went there in the 19th century with his wife, Jenny, 
they lived in this little hut, this one-room little hut, and he, got, he felt like God said, you and your wife are going to go to the Hebrides Islands, and you are going to serve the people that are there. Can I tell you about the people that are there, or this, this environment that he was walking into? Hostile, to say the least. Dangerous, poisonous animals. Um, there were deadly, tropical diseases there. Oh, and by the way, the natives were hostile. Many of them were cannibals. Where do I sign up? Where do, when can I go? I'd like to go there. So he and his wife are there. They're there for some time. There were many different tribes that were there. They would bring the gospel to all that were open to it, to all these different tribes. Many of the people came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ through their work. But there was one tribe in particular that did not agree with them. And they said, who are these missionaries? Who are these people that have come in here and they brought this strange faith? And who is this Jesus character? They wanted them out and they threatened them. For a month straight, they threatened them and said, we are going to take your life if you stay here. John, John and Jenny Patton didn't feel as if they were to leave. They felt that this is where God called them to stay. And then it was June 23rd, 1873 at night. This is where this incredible event takes place. They're inside their hut, and they hear this chanting going on outside, a warlike chant, and they realize it's this one tribe that wants to kill them. They want to get rid of them. He and his wife got down on their knees and they started to pray and they said, God, we ask you to intervene. You have called us to this place. Father, we ask that you would protect us. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. For an hour straight, though, nothing happened. All they heard was this warlike cry over and over and over again. His wife was, even as they're praying, his wife was vis visibly shaking. She was so upset. She was trembling, not knowing what was going to happen. And she thought it was going to be the end. Well, with that, after that hour, right after that, he saw, John Patton would say, that he saw these great lights that were around their hut. And he said to her, honey, don't stop praying. I think they're going to they're gonna burn us out of here. They're going to light us on fire. That's how they're going to take us out. Start praying. Keep praying. Keep going. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. But after about 15 minutes, they noticed that the noise started to decrease. And the warlike cry, it was more distant and in the background. And then it was gone, totally gone. And they said, what happened? They walked out of their hut later on that night, not understanding, not knowing what had taken place. Here's the best part of the story. You see, three months later, the chief of that tribe actually came to John G. Patton and said, who is this Jesus that you came to him privately? Who is this Jesus that you talk about and everybody is talking about here in the islands? Who is this? I want to know about him. Not long after that, he came to be a Christ follower. And Patton said, I have to ask you the question. Do you remember that night three months ago? You remember that night? When, when you came to kill us, why didn't you kill us? We were in there by ourselves. And he looked at Patton with a quizzical look, surprised, shocked, and he said, are you kidding me? I saw all the soldiers that you had out there. There was no way I was going to get to you. I saw hordes, I saw tons of soldiers with swords, and they were dressed in shining armor, and they had, they had that look on their face, and they said, if you come near them, you're going to pay the price, and you're going to die. We left. We weren't going to mess around with those guys. And Patton said to him, what are, what are you talking about? What soldiers? There were no soldiers camped around our tent that night. Those were angels, friends. Angels. It protected that man, and the impact that man had 
in that area is still talked about today. Story after story after story like that where God intervened and he saved the lives of people like that. And you know what? You know why I believe in angels? I believe in angels because the Bible says that angels are real. But I also believe in angels because if it were not for angels, I don't think I would even be around here today. Personally, I wouldn't be here. Can I give you one story from my own life? Again, I know many of you have stories, but I'm the preacher, so I'm the one that has to give a story, right? Two of them. I'll give you two of them. Now it's story time. You probably, many of you are like, when are you going to tell me some good stories? Here they are. When I was young, my parents took us to a... Uh, What what is that, a conference down there? We were down in Virginia, a conference, a place that kids just love to go, and their parents go to meetings all day and all night. You kind of just hang out, right? You have great memories of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went to this, like, conference, and it was one of the fun parts of the conference. We actually got to go swimming in a pool, and uh, we were there in the pool. How old do you think I was at this time? Do you know? How old? No, I was older than that. Two and a half? All right, two and a half. Say, I'm, I'm three years old. I'm three. So I'm three years old. And all the kids are in the pool. You, get, you, you tell the story. I'm, I'm going to make you tell it. You're gonna, you, can, you know what's going to happen? You're going to give me the eyes that I'm not doing a good enough job telling the story. <laughs> this is rare. I never do this, but you need to tell the story. We need a, we need a mic. Yeah, I saw your face. I said, I'm done. I'm not telling the story. I like to tell stories, but I'm gonna, there's no way, right? So go ahead, Pastor. Go ahead. Uh, we used to go down to Virginia Conference uh, yearly in the summer for, as you said, for some speakers and... Um, so you know that this is a camp, the Virginia, what was it, the, the University of Virginia, or Richmond, Virginia, yes, Richmond. and so um, we're out there, we're around the pool with a number of the other families that were there with their children as well, and if you know me well, you know I'm, I'm not a water person, and I'm very, very overprotective about, always was, about my children when they were little, and so uh, all the children are in the pool, Joe was in the pool. And I was, I couldn't go in the pool relax because I'm a nervous wreck. I was John, Jennifer, James. John and Jennifer, stand up a second. Jen's not here. Do people all know who our children are? You may be new to the church. Okay, that's John. Um, Jen's floating around somewhere. So um, I'm like now watching other people's children because they weren't doing a good enough job as far as I was concerned <laughs> of watching their kids. So now I'm watching about eight kids. And this is, this is the real truth. I'll never forget it. And... Um, I'm watching all these children, and I'm looking at some children over there, and as God is my judge, somebody took my face, some hand took my face, and turned my face this way, and, and instantly my eyes focused on a child that was in the water, and I, I screamed, and I said, there's a child in the water, and I'm screaming this, there's a child in the water, and then I realized it was James. I'm so busy looking at everybody else's kids that he had somehow tumbled into the water. And what was as amazing to me was the fact that somebody turned my head was that Joe, who I had no idea, I wasn't looking at him at all, happened to be, (laughs) happened to be, he happened to be right, had his back toward James. And when he instantly saw my face, how that happened, I don't know, we looked at each other, and I pointed, and he instantly, like he knew what, we, what he was doing, picked him up, and what was really amazing is he never even took in any water. Um, now, he was really a toddler. He was really a toddler. He never even took in any water. Didn't I have a vest on you already? What's wrong with your I mother? I just remember floating you to the bottom, been, going, oh. looking around. I do. I, I, I remember just floating. 
the bot just going, like going down. <laughs> My life ebbing away from me. I, no, I can saying. really, yeah, I can tell you it's, it's, I know somebody turned my face. And I can tell you, I mean, I didn't sleep for two nights. I mean, we were just, it was a really, really, you know, a baby, that child that young, you don't have much capacity. But I know one thing. I know the people who ran that conference, and I can tell you that that campus was prayed for. And I can tell you that angels were released in that campus and around that pool. And I know angels saved your life. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for doing a great job watching me. Uh, yeah, it, you know, and I have to tell one more story to, to brag on Pastor Linda a little bit. Uh, I, I'll never feel, I, I was like 20 years old, and I wasn't a partier. I didn't really go out much, right? Some of you look at, I didn't. I didn't really go out much. So he just left. My, my Very rarely I'd go out with my cousins or, you know, whatever, friends, once in a blue moon. So I'm like 20 years old, and I'm, we went to like Huntington. My friend's like, hey, let's go out, let's go hang out. Of course, I was the, I was the driver, so we went out. I'm in Hunt I've never been to Huntington Village before in my life. One of my friends had a little too much to drink that night. Uh, he was a black belt in karate, like a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I mean, this guy could handle himself. He could take all of us out, right, one time. Just a, a bad dude. You didn't want to mess with him. He starts messing with people, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, what's wrong with you? Will you just leave people alone? What's wrong with you? I don't think anything of it. We're just kind of hanging out, getting ready for other friends to come back. I'm like, you know, and I like to go to bed at like 10 o'clock, right? So it's past my bedtime. It's like 11 o'clock. I'm like, can we get out of here? I want to go home, right? Anybody you know me well, you, I'm telling the truth. Eventually, you know, eventually, maybe a half an hour later, out of nowhere, I see the same kid show up that my friend was kind of messing with, but he's not alone. Mercedes, BMWs roll up. I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe how fast these people uh, descended on us. Tinted windows on the car. I saw a ton of people get out. One guy got out with two pit bulls. And it was weird. I was alone with my friend. And I, you can't tell me it was, it was not an angel that kept me safe that night. That God did not use an angel, I should say. It was God, but using an angel that night. Because what happened that night, and to, to make a long story short, they went after my friend a little bit. It was as if I wasn't even there. And I didn't do anything, but just the fact that I was there that night and nothing ever happened to me. I mean, these were really scary individuals. It was a gang, and there were a lot of guys. And every, I still thank God to this day, but here's the best part of the story. So I get home, right? And I go in the house, and if you know the house, there's like a little study, Pastor Linda's study, right? And you know when you're a kid, and sometimes you try to sneak in the house, you know, I'm going to get upstairs, no one's going to know where I am, right? And there is Pastor Linda, and she's sitting in the chair, Hey, Jay, what? What? Who's that? What's going on right now? And there is Pastor Linda in the chair. She was praying for me that night. You know, Pastor Linda would like, in, in, it, it was like an interrogation, though. She could have worked for J. Edgar Hoover, right? Some of the things, like, I'm serious. Like, she'd, like, ask you, like, point out, where were you? What? No, where, where, exactly where were you? Well, I don't know. I was out. I'm out with friends, right? And ask these questions. But I say that to you parents, I had a praying mother and father at home. I'll never forget her spiritual mother, Jane Hale. Thank God for Jane Hale and her 
just what, what, what she did, her wisdom and her influence on us. I'm here today because of her influence. And many of you don't know who that name is. This woman would call up our house and she would say, hello, is your mama there? And all she wanted to do was pray. And it was like a shot, you could hear, it was like a shotgun. These two would be on the phone and they would pray for hours. And I would sit there and go, who the heck can sit on a phone for hours and pray? But now as a preacher and as a parent, I understand why she was praying with somebody. And I, I beg, I implore you parents that you would be praying for your kids so that his angels would be given charge over them, over your households, over you, that wherever you go, wherever you are, that you would have protection. I was going to give another story from the Bible, but I'm really not. Can I just tie everything up with this? I'm going to skip this ahead. I was going to mention a story from, I don't need to. The last thing I would like to say, I'd be remiss if I didn't. I, I think the biggest obstacle we have with our fascination with angels would be, though, that it could take our focus off God. And I, I, I'm so concerned that you hear a sermon like this and you say, man, I'm just so fascinated with angels. I, nowhere, it is not scriptural. Let me say it again. It is not scriptural. You are never, ever to pray to an angel. You are to pray to Almighty God, Jehovah God, and Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who you are to pray to. You are never to pray to angels. Angels are created beings from him. Yes, they are to guide. They are used to protect. They are used to minister. But we are never, ever to pray to them. They are amazing creatures. In every sense, they are amazing in so many ways, but we are never to look at them and worship them. Look what it's, look what, oh, sorry, in Revelation, you see it here, oops, in Revelation 19.10, and also this happens in Revelation 22, and I fell at his feet, John the Beloved, to worship him, an angel, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We're not to worship angels. This, how beautiful they must look. How glorious they look in their splendor and their majesty. And John doesn't realize. He thinks he's seeing God. And the angel's saying, no, 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 get up. We are never Ever to worship angels. Don't so you cannot say, I am delivering a sermon or sermons deifying angels or talking about how we're supposed to give them. I'm talking about a creation, an amazing creature, amazing, and how God uses them in our lives. I'm talking about them because they're right now as we speak, if we could pull back the veil, we would see angelic activity that is taking place. And there is a battle between Lucifer and all of his minions and Michael and Gabriel and all of the heavenly hosts. And the battle will rage on until Christ comes back. The good news is, is that we know there is a second coming. And when he comes, I'm sorry, all of the depiction of the angels as these cute, cuddly, girlish figures, I'm sorry, you are going to see angels come back as warriors and they're going to have flaming swords and they're going to be right behind Jesus Christ because he's coming back for his bride. Don't you be mistaken. He's coming. Do you believe that, friends? Do you believe that? December 27th, he is coming. But when things happen in your life and you don't understand how you were saved, you don't understand something at your job, you better understand there is a God who knows and who sees and uses angels in our lives. 
Stop acting as if you earned everything. Stop acting as if you know everything. You know you're a finite creature. You're a human being. There is a God who knows all and sees all and is omniscient and is omnipresent and is omnipotent. That's who he is. And there came a day, friends, there came a day when Jesus went to the cross. Angelic beings as wonderful as they are, not one of the angels, Gabriel or Michael, said, I want to lay down my life for all those human beings that are down there. Oh, no, no, no. But there was one who did, and his name is Jesus. He said, I will be the one. God said, I will be the one to take it upon myself. Because those are my people. That's my creation. I've created them in my image. Male and female, I have created them. And I love them. And I will be the one to reconcile them. I will be the one to bridge the chasm. I will be the one to redeem the relationship. I will be the one to chase after them. That's what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. From the cradle to the grave. He went the distance. He went the distance. we end to just another service. Father, I ask you to open our eyes to the spiritual war that rages on. That's my prayer, Lord. Out of everything people heard this morning, out of everything people heard last week, I ask, Lord, that you would have mercy on us. Give us supernatural eyes to see the battle that rages on around us, above us, in us. Father, I ask that we would look to you and know and trust that your angel, angels will and can take charge over us and our situations. Lord, I thank you that you have created these angelic beings, Lord, to minister, to serve, to protect, to guide. May we not forget them, Lord. I'm glad that they got their due, at least in this little church, Lord. How glorious it is to talk about them the ones that no one talks about. They get such limited time. Oh, but Father, you know and you see and you love them. Above all, you love us. And we'll never understand fully what you did on that cross. We're eternally grateful. Words can never express our gratitude. Have your way in us in 2016, Lord. May it not just be another year as we start with prayer in January. Lord, may there be an explosion, Father. Explosion of your power, an explosion of your presence, an explosion of your peace, an explosion of your joy, an explosion of your mercy. Father, we want to experience things in a new way. May we not come to the end of 2016 and say we're the same. May we not come to the end and say, what happened this year? It was the same old year, same old thing happened. Lord, have your way. Send your winds of revival to Middle Island, to City on a Hill, Lord. Why not us? Why not this area? Why not Long Island? Who, Lord, we always hear about the South. We always hear about the West Coast. What about the East Coast? What about the Northeast? We want to experience your power, Father, your healing power. We want your presence more than we've ever had it before. Help us to chase hard after you this year, this coming year. Amen. No, I didn't forget, too. I just want to say this, too, kind of in closing. We're going to be looking in the new year again. A couple of people have asked me about my one word. And I want you, for those of you that have been around, I want you to start thinking now in the new year. We will be discussing 
What is the word that God is calling you to choose in 2016? All right, and if you look at me going, I have no idea, you'll hear about it more in the future, but it's kind of a tradition. And if you look on that sign on your way out, those are the words from last year. We'll replace that sign this, uh, this year with the new words that come in. A way to look at 2016 instead of trying to look at a million different things that we can be a focused people and look at one thing. Look at those words if you, you want some inspiration. You don't really know. But now is the time because I know New Year's is this week. As you move into the New Year, start thinking what your words can be. All right, worship team. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.